Here's to courageous pioneers who understand a legacy is multifaceted. Welcome to our Legacy Planning Podcast, a podcast for leaders and visionaries of all ages. Whether you are an independent entrepreneur or someone who is part of a family business, you too can leave something of value behind for a greater purpose. Perhaps your legacy will improve workplace cultures, seize authentic moments, or inspire others with your talent. Your host, Angelina Carlton, is the founder of Design Your Legacy, a boutique advisory firm based in Beverly Hills, California. She is a mentor and coach to leaders like you and has contributed to Alliance, a philanthropy magazine, as well as to women in family business. She has been recognized by Los Angeles Biz as an LA woman of influence, as well as by World HRD Congress for her work. Remember, you deserve great coaching because your legacy is worth completing. Good morning. My name is Angelina Carlton, and I'm the founder of Legacy Planning, a boutique coaching and advisory firm based in Beverly Hills, California. I get to help clients define, develop, and execute their personal legacies. In other words, I get to go on exciting quests with each client as they explore and live out their life legacies. I wanted to talk with Robin today because a legacy also includes enjoying our life, And because he understands, we each have a part to play in exercising our free will. So for a little bit of background, Robin is a software engineer with a penchant for 18th century fashion. About a decade ago, he became interested in attending costume balls from luxurious dinner parties to all night marathons. He has been expressing himself creatively by sewing and tailoring 18th century dresses for a number of years now. Robin has produced some exquisite period fashions for both men and women. He also is working on a variety of literary and other artistic projects. So welcome, Robin. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, (laughs) So a lot of people wonder how I got started in this. And uh, it was about, uh, I guess, 12 years ago now, they... um, Chateau Versailles in uh, Paris had a, a, a party and it was uh, an all night kind of thing. And it was supposed to be a party uh, along the lines of Venice Carnival. It was, they asked people to wear their carnival dress. And, uh, and what was unique about this party, it was the first time uh, in the Chateau Versailles uh, that there had ever been a party open to the public uh, in that you could just buy a ticket. Uh, and usually uh, you had to either be royalty and be invited by royalty and then they had a revolution and the place was closed. And apparently maybe on two or three occasions, some billionaire would pay the government enough money to, to clean it up enough that they could actually have an event there. But that was it. So kings and billionaires. Um, anyway, so the, so this happened. Uh, I was uh, uh, enjoying my time in Paris. I got to go to my first party. And what happened at the party was something that no one expected, at least it was me. Uh, everyone showed up in, in French uh, 18th century style clothing. I don't know where they got these costumes from. I don't know how they got these costumes. I had no idea. Uh, I knew that I secured one for myself from a costume shop, just luckily. Uh, but, and, uh, and what year was this? And this was in uh, 2011, I guess. Okay. So... Uh, and anyway, so the, the party was a huge success. Uh, they've been holding it every year, except they did not hold it last year for some reason. And uh, I believe that they won't be doing it this year for some reason. But uh, uh, 
Uh, yeah, so they're, they've missed their, their 10th anniversary party will actually be uh, two years delayed, it looks like. Uh, but what happened is I started going to this party every year. I started uh, uh, not only going myself, but bringing other people. Uh, a few years into it, I sort of got tired of, of uh, always having to do the costume shops and the rentals and taking things. And, and I, I got into my head that, hey, maybe it's possible that I could make the dresses and costumes myself. And uh, uh, and then that was just a rabbit hole. So yes, and and one of the things we had talked about before today's conversation is how important self-expression is, especially as we get older, in the mind-body connection. To be able to, um, you know, whether it's through the spoken word, whether it's through painting, or or whatever it is that is inside of us in our imagination, to be able to. Um, express it on a canvas, uh, whether it's sewing or tailoring, or whether it's embroidery. And I know some of your pieces have, um, it's been uh, over what, 300 hours sometimes, like if it is a jacket. Yeah, the, uh, the act of expression is a, is a really big deal for me. Uh, and I think it probably is for a lot of people because you can take almost any emotion, whether it's good, uh, bad, uh, indifferent, otherwise, and you can take that and sort of channel it into something uh, tangible. And you get, uh, you get different effects, of course, if, you're, if you create a thing when you're angry, if you create a thing when you're sad versus if you create a thing when you're happy. Uh, but at the end of the day, you've created something and it's, it's really a joy afterward to uh, have something tangible and to be able to show and share your creations with other people. It's, Absolutely, it's compared to- one of the greatest joys you can have. Sure, and compared to stuffing it down or never developing it, because where would the world be without yeah, Ralph Lauren or the roughness and toughness of Levi Strauss and so forth? Yeah, or or yeah, all of these things. I mean, almost anything that we take for granted had to be created by someone, and it wasn't all created uh, uh, by someone who got a paycheck for it. I mean, most of most of the greatest things in life are are things that someone just had a passion for or were angry and did or whatever but <laughs> sure like Beethoven had his ear cut off <laughs> they right. did uh, just the creation yeah yeah so um, so yes I, I I create whenever I have any emotion that uh, that I enjoy or don't enjoy I just I turn around and I start making things and using my hands and I understand so. right now in terms of being able to commission a fashion piece that it's very difficult to find. Somebody can't just go, let's say, to Brooks Brothers and get, you know, something that is that has the exquisite embroidery that some of your jackets do. Yeah, well, that's uh, so. What I tend to make. So when I started sewing, of course, I learned how to sew. Uh, you know, regular, uh, everyday uh, type garments. So you know, one has to learn somewhere. So I think most people, their first garment is usually a pair of pajama bottoms or something like that. Uh, and then, you know, you, you work your way up to other things. So I think my first garment was a dress, which was a success. And I gave it to the, to the woman I made it for, and she was very happy and still my friend to this day. <laughs> uh, and, and I worked my way up probably about a year into uh, learning how to make dresses. I tried, my, tried out my first 18th century dress, which, uh, you know, for me, it was a big gamble because you know, they need uh, about 15 meters of fabric all, all pulled. And, uh, and they're a lot of work. And I just, I, I thought, well, uh, I hope I don't just ruin all this fabric. Uh, so, you know, I, 
by the time I was done, though, I had a very nice drawing scene. Uh, and I remembered, I think one of your first, yes, and I remember you had shared with me one of your first pieces was for your mother or something that, um, you know, if it went, you know, and didn't turn out so well, you could just give it to your mother, but it turned out well. Oh, well. well, it was actually, no, not, not that I was going to give her the piece. So what happened was I bought a uh, sort of mid-range, like not a, not a cheap, but a sort of, you know, uh, a more than a thousand dollar sewing machine. Uh, and I thought, this is going to be the sewing machine that I will learn to sew with. So I didn't want to buy a cheap one or whatever. And then, and then later be able to say, oh no, I couldn't sew because I bought a cheap machine. And that's what, that's what, that's what got me. Like if I, I wouldn't lie to myself, like if I was going to not be able to sew, I was going to not be able to sew with a good machine. <laughs> and so as I started learning, uh, I decided that if I was a failure and could not get past the period of where all of my sewing was crap, then yeah, then I would give my machine to my mother and I would ask my mother to make all my costumes for me because she has, she has a sewing uh, or a knack for sewing. Good, good. And, and I realized one of the other conversations we had prior to today was that there you were working as a software engineer and you wanted more self-expression. You wanted more things to learn about just to expand life and be more than you know, just your, your line of work. And when I think about legacy, and I've said this before, that legacy is more than the property that we own, the portfolio, the, our financial assets. It's also how we live our life, the quality of our life, you know, how we choose to spend our leisure time, how we explore this world. You know, and, and I think even that in and of itself is we get to embody what it is to be a positive role model in a world today that needs positive role models, whether it's that people are, are you know, stuck at home all around the world and, and they need an outlet or it's just why not take our time or in our free time and make something beautiful. And I, I hope at some point you'll sh share the jacket. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll, yes. uh, I'll do a little demonstration in, uh, in just a minute. But yeah, that's that's really a big deal and part of uh, part of how I got into and adhered to this hobby, because in, in software and in my profession, uh, I, I create things for other people. And at the end of the day, they own those things. They own the intellectual property and they go off and they make money with them. And then they hire somebody else like me to rewrite those things and overwrite my legacy. <laughs> and, and, and it's all gone. And I have no control over what happens with my work. Now, all I end up at the end of, with the, at the end of the day is a paycheck, which is sometimes considerable, but that's it. There's, a, there's not actually a thing. It's just some money. So uh, you know, I, at that point, then if I wanted to have a legacy, then I'd have to do something with the money. But but what I do with my profession doesn't add up. It doesn't stack up. It doesn't acute. You know, it doesn't acquire interest. It doesn't do anything. Right. So yeah, with this hobby, it's very tangible. I make a thing. I have a thing in my hands. Uh, some of the things I give away, but some of the things I use and use again for uh, for these events. So. Um, a much better legacy, I think. Uh, I have a, an inventory now of about, uh, uh, you can see these 18th century corsets behind me. I have about uh, 10 of those. And I have uh, uh, 20, 20 dresses in my closet right now for, for balls and parties and such. So I could, I could dress a half a woman's football team. <laughs> good, good. And I often say it requires courage to build your own vision because we can find ourselves easily in life supporting somebody else's vision. And then one day we wake up, uh, if we're not already entrepreneurs or you know, if we don't already come from, let's say a family business or 
um, some type of entrepreneurial background that encourages and fosters creativity. I think many people can, they wake up one day and they, they ask themselves, what am I building for myself? Or what am I building for my own family? That is beyond, um, you know, what is convenient in life? What is beyond just playing it safe? Well, that's almost exactly what happened to me. I mean, I woke up one day and I realized that all the software I've written in all of my life or whatever is, uh, if it isn't already obsolete, it's going to be obsolete in, you know, two, three, four years. Uh, uh, if I'm if I'm lucky, uh, maybe a few years longer, but not many years longer. So um, it was just like uh, sort of push ahead. So uh, what I'd like to do is tell you a little bit about the kinds of parties that exist uh, in this 18th century universe. Yes, please, please. Uh, there are three kinds of parties. Yes. Uh, and and uh, you need to know what kind of party you're going to before you go, because it's a, it's how you prepare is, is a little bit different. So uh, the lowest level of party, and you're not even going to believe it, the lowest level is the kind of party you go to at Venice Carnival. That is actually entry level. Because I know you see on the pictures or whatever, and there's like amazing costumes and amazing, but, but what happens is only like maybe uh, on the street, maybe one or 2% of the people in the street are actually in full costumes. The people at a ball are in full costumes. And there are no rules. So uh, if your costume is a bit dodgy, or maybe, uh, maybe you couldn't get the 18th century costume that you wanted and you got instead a SpongeBob costume, <laughs> You can still go to the ball and you can still have a good time and do everything you wanted, but you're just dressed like SpongeBob instead of like uh, uh, Marie Antoinette. So can you so share? Can, can you share the picture you sent to me this morning over uh, WhatsApp on the screen for a oh, moment? I certainly can. As it just as a uh, reference point. Uh, uh, on what? Like share screen? Uh, sure, sure. There was a, an image that you. If it's convenient, if not, you can go on to yeah, yeah, do what yeah, you sure, planned. Yeah, hang on. Just for the, the visual uh, reference point. Oh no, stop sharing. Whoop, that's not it. I got it wrong. Share screen. So uh, this is uh, the second uh, entry level, actually. This is uh, uh, was taken at uh, the Chateau Versailles. And so uh, in France, they have, uh, or in, at, at, the, at, at Versailles every June, uh, they have a party and it's uh, kind of an all night sort of dance party and it's 18th century themed. Uh, masks and costumes are mandatory. So you can't show up looking like SpongeBob or you can't show up without a costume. Um, like in a Venice dinner party, if you show up with a nice suit on, uh, they think, well, you paid this much for the ticket, in you go. But with this party, no, if you don't have a costume, they won't let you in at the door. Uh, so everybody gets, uh, gets ready usually. Uh, you'll go to, there's uh, about a dozen or so costume shops in Paris that specialize in um, this type of costume because uh, they know every year that they're gonna have to do this. And, uh, and I'm, I, know all the, I know all the costumers now. <laughs> uh, because when I go to these parties, I take a lot of dates. So I have, uh, uh, I have my, my buddy Dave came with me on this one, but I, I took I took five dates for this party. So that's good. Uh, that's you have to have fun in life. And would you speak a little French? I know that I'm putting you on the spot right now, and I was also going to introduce uh, you. Je crois que je peux parler un peu de français. Uh, 
I went on the spot. I don't know. Okay, okay that's great. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I have enough French to get through restaurants and uh, buying things, appliances at the store, whatever. But it's uh, it gets a little tougher when I have to hold down a whole conversation. Anyway, so uh, so here we are, Chateau Versailles. I think I can uh, flip through this a little bit. Uh, this is uh, these are a couple of my converts, uh, uh, both wearing dresses I've made over the last couple of years. Uh, uh, a lot of the uh, uh, the women that I take to the parties or whatever come from around the world, from as far away as Hawaii and uh, as far south as uh, Nigeria and as uh, far north as Sweden, I guess. So. And, and just to note, you had lived also in Hawaii at one point. Yes, I did. And that's yes. kind of how I have Hawaii contacts. That was, that was a whole other adventure. Uh, anyway, so I'll, uh, I'll get back to it. So a lot of people ask me questions um, uh, like, oh my goodness, if I get that, how am I going to uh, do it? I hear it takes six or seven hours to get dressed. And, uh, and, well, I think and it's these a, it's... corsets are going to be very... Oh, well, they're going to be very uncomfortable, and I don't think I could wear a corset for more than six minutes, or I would have lung would pop out of my nose. <laughs> right, 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 right. And I think that there's also kind of a forgotten knowledge about this history because, um, unless it's like um, your your parents tell you, or you get invited to a social gathering, it's so easy just to not know about you know the 18th century or to you know see it on Netflix or something to even have an understanding of this period in history that is still very much influential today. And I just also wanted to add that, um, you know, one of the things I love is when I find a restaurant that uh, might not be famous, but that it has the best food. And I, and, and I, and I make, I bring that metaphor up right now because I think that you have a talent and, and you might not have a sign over your door that says, you know, that you are some runway designer in Milan, but yet you have a skill that I think you know, especially today, it's like you can share this knowledge and you can share your passion for this subject. And the imagination is in all of us. You know, we all have skills. Of, of, and so anyway, so please take it away. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so for, for me, uh, men's fashions, uh, uh, they're generally like you wear, uh, you, you wear breeches. I can't, uh, let's see, get them inside the camera. So you'll, you'll, you'll wear uh, standard breeches, uh, you'll wear a shirt uh, with poofy sleeves, so you uh, you can be fabulous in your shirt. Uh, you'll generally wear some sort of waistcoat. Uh, uh, waistcoats come in different uh, varieties. Some of them have pockets. Some of them have sleeves. Uh, they generally have a lot of buttons, and actually, they take longer to put on your waistcoat than any other garment. <laughs> uh, uh, your shirt may or may not have a jabot attached to it or some sort of lace attached to it. Uh, if it does not, you'll probably wear uh, some sort of a uh, uh, jabot. So you, you know, you have uh, suppose, and jabots can be huge. You can sometimes they're very big and frilly. Sometimes they're just this is a more of a minimalist one. Maybe so. And a jabot is like uh, a tie. So sort of, sorry, uh, uh, it uh, they, they can go in a couple of ways. My, this one ties in the back. Uh, some of them actually have two pieces. And you bring them around, pull them over, and tie them like a more like a cravat, and then you just poof all the uh, uh, all the uh, lace together and make it look like a single thing. Uh, with this, on top of this, I would put on my jacket. 
And the 18th century jacket is, or frock coat, uh, is very much like a, a modern jacket in a lot of ways. And in fact, was the, the predecessor to the, uh, uh, to the modern men's uh, um, suit jacket. Uh, it has a very similar fit on the shoulders on the front. Uh, you can see the shoulders come, come, uh, come down past my shoulder. Now with women's fashions, the shoulders ended about here and you'd have like a, uh, a bit of a poof at the end. Uh, with, the men's, uh, with the men's, they didn't do that. They sort of squared off the shoulders. They didn't go all the way to the 80s, but they went, uh, they went right to, to the corner of your shoulder. And that's for ease of movement if you had to use a sword or something like that. Uh, now, this uh, particular pattern, this is my very, very first jacket, my first attempt at tailoring. Uh, it's, I can, you can't see the mistakes, but I can see all the mistakes in it. Uh, the first thing that uh, I, an aficionado would notice is that uh, this is not an 18th century pattern. This is just a, uh, this is actually a modern rose pattern. And what I did is I just started doing this again and again and again until I had a lot of them. And it kind of gave me an 18th century look by the time I was done. I did the same for my son. And in some respects, I'm not even sure I'm finished with this jacket because um, uh, usually uh, you can do one or two rows of buttons. And I've actually made and prepared buttons for it, but I, I'm still in about whether I want to have uh, more color on this than I've already got. So, but uh, uh, this jacket's been a hit uh, every time I've worn it somewhere. I've won the first prize. It's a, it's, it's a, a real and, and how many hours did it take? Uh, this one was my very first jacket, so probably an innumerable amount. So if a normal, like let's say if I was going to make a regular dress, that would take me about four hours. Okay. Uh, the first time I made a dress like that would take me probably eight, you know, to like figure out all this things here and whatever. With this, I probably had about, uh, and because the embroidery went fairly quickly, but I was learning how to use the embroidery machine. So I think to remake this would take me about maybe a hundred hours to do it in the first place probably took me twice or three hours. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's just so marvelous that there you are and you have your regular daytime, you know, gig and then in the evenings and weekends and in your free time, you get to go off and on a whole so, new adventure that's historical and... The, the most fun about this is I don't have to go to Versailles to wear it. I mean, I can walk outside right now <laughs> and go and get milk if I want. So I can wear this whenever I want. Sure. I, can have, I have people over. Sometimes we'll get dressed up and drink champagne. So I can, I can have the 18th century party right here, right now, right today, anytime, anytime I feel like it. So and I'm, I'm, I'm at. Because it, it's a bit warm. I, and I imagine that it is quite a conversation yeah. starter. Uh, it is. Uh, I was actually in D.C. Uh, I went to... British Ooh. Columbia. Okay. No, no, D.C. Oh, D.C. Oh, District of Columbia. Washington. Okay. I went to this place called the uh, uh, the Wilson House, Woodrow Wilson House. Okay. And they had, a, they had a signing of the Treaty of Versailles party. And everybody went in 1920s clothes, and I didn't have any 20s costumes, but I actually had this costume with me for... Uh, a, a woman, a friend of mine, wanted to do a photo shoot. So I had this costume with me, and I wore it to the party. 
And they were like, oh, that's incredible. And of course, they gave me first prize. So they owe me like a big dinner at the Wilson House. And then we went out and just went to a couple of DC hotels and I still went in costume. And uh, yeah, just everybody. It's uh, yeah, a lot, of, I got a lot of attention. So uh, well, I think it's because it's so unique. And I, and I, and I, I'm sorry, I just want to interrupt real quick. I, when I think about even when I um, think about both, uh, lineages of my parents when I think about some of the fashion that on my father's side of the family just the the amount of care and skill put into how they dressed I mean whether it was in the early 1900s or throughout the 18th century when I look at black and white photographs it just drops my jaw because there's a piece of that that we might not carry forward today and a part of it might be the conveniences of of lifestyle and you know, we just want to go to the grocery store, like you said, and get some milk and pick up well, some. I, like with jackets in particular, like tailoring is a hard job. Like you don't, you you know, if you go out, you could go to uh, a dozen meetups or three dozen meetups or whatever. And the chances of meeting an actual tailor is is low. Like they're just, it's a it's a rare profession. So uh, people who you know who can sew up a dress. Uh, uh, from a pattern or whatever are far more common in this world. But people who can make a jacket, they, they just, they, <laughs> I can't really explain why it's so difficult, but it's just really difficult. Uh, the jacket just, the jackets don't want to stay, the fabric doesn't want to stay where you put it. Like it just, it doesn't want to. You have to, it's just, you have to really work hard. Anyway, now here's what I'll show you uh, next is, is these, uh, the corset. So uh, this is looks historically accurate, and it almost is historically accurate, with the exception of I have metal eyelets in mine. And back in the day, they didn't. They used to hand sew uh, these uh, these hand sewn eyelets, and it would take them 100 years or whatever per eyelet. <laughs> and I uh, I'm terrible at hand sewing. I don't have the skill or the coordination to hand sew, which is why I'm a terrible tailor. But uh, uh, so with the hand sewing. Uh, that's out, and the eyelets would eventually wear out. So you'd have to repair them and re-sew them every now and then. Uh, and that's just too much work for, for me as a, as a hobbyist. Uh, so I use the metal eyelets. Uh, when you uh, wire this up, so the idea with this is, now in modern times, if you're a woman and you want to have a certain body shape, all you do is you go to the doctor and you say, hey, cut this off and take that out. <laughs> <laughs> And freeze that fat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were, they, were, they were much more, if you can believe it, they were much more egalitarian back in the 18th century because the fashion style was not to have a super narrow waist, but the fashion style uh, was for uh, things to be very flat from below your breasts uh, to your waistline. They wanted that just to be, as you can see, flat. And why did they want that to be flat? It was so they could put a piece of artwork on there. And you could show off how awesome your stomach was because you uh, decorated it up with art. So when you put on this garment, this garment is the workhorse that carries the rest of all of your garments, all your dress, all the weight hangs off your waist. And instead of tying it around your stomach, which would be terrible, uh, it, uh, your, the ties all go around this waist area. And the, this garment actually protects you from being uncomfortable. The garment itself, you can wear at any it doesn't matter how what your real body shape is. Uh, you just uh, tighten it. it, it, it it's the laces in the back. You tighten it according to how big you are on the top, how big you are in the middle, or whatever. 
Uh, and you can be pregnant and wear one of these. You can be um, like, it's not like what you uh, talked about with 19th and 20th century uh, corsets where they do waist training and everything. And they sure, try to sure. reshape you. Like these are, these were made to be comfortable. They were, they were, they were the workhorse of the industry, uh, of the fashion industry then. And, and they were made to be worn all day. And, and what would, when we do, when when uh, what would you say made you a better artist as you progressed forward on this journey? Was there any whether uh, was there other couture fashion designers that you could learn from, or how did you develop your skill and talent? I've actually kind of been more of an autodidact. I've been kind of teaching myself all the way along. Okay. Uh, there are other people on Instagram, but really. Uh, uh, I just get ideas for what I want to do in my head, and then I just go ahead and start doing them. Okay. And uh, like with my white jacket here, I had an idea for that jacket, and it's not exactly 18th century. And what I've learned since is that a lot of creators in this period or in this genre are kind of the same because you can't you can't really make an 18th century jacket uh, you, or an 18th century dress because you have modern fabrics and modern thread and modern you know, whatever. So uh, just for the thread, I have polyester thread. I mean, I would be burned as a witch if they send <laughs> 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 me back. Uh, all, all, the, uh, all the channels for all the boning, uh, uh, there are dozens and dozens of channels in these, and uh, you know, they're all machine sewn. I mean, I would be burned as a witch for that. Now, there are people who will go and take two years out of their life and they can sew one of these. Right. Yeah, uh, there are people that do it, and they love that doing that, and I envy their ability to hand sew them all, but that's, that's not me. So, the first myth dispelled, you will not hurt yourself or get sick or lose breath or perfectly comfortable. Uh, my girlfriends wear these for, uh, and I confess I haven't worn one, but my girlfriends will wear these for uh, 12 to 14 hours at a time. And, and there, I, I haven't lost one yet. Good, <laughs> good, okay. And that's okay. really to know compared to having presumptions about you know, what we so, might think. The second myth is like, it must take you six hours to get dressed. And the fact is, no. So we're gonna do this in hopefully less than about a minute. The first thing we need are sizes. And these just go like this. So when, if anyone has seen Outlander with Claire and Jamie, it can be one reference point to understanding what was the expectation back then, or even today, if somebody goes to one of these parties. Okay, so a little bit of adjusting, but yes. So that's, uh, uh, your side hoops go on uh, next. Now this uh, corset might go on over top of some sort of a shift. So it's it's kind of like the, the where the uh, mannequins always have the breasts a little too high uh, compared to a real person. Uh, uh, the, your breasts, the breasts are sort of meant to be like uh, accessible because you might be breastfeeding or something when you're, when you're out. So, uh, and, and uh, they, that was about that was the that was the scheme we got to show. Everything below your breasts was hidden under many many layers of clothing. So you've got basically your your 
decolletage was 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 your that's what you used in front of the party basically. So usually the breasts were kind of above the the whatever they would get covered up uh, as according to your taste, but but just barely. That was really the point of this this period. Uh, now the next thing you do is because these hoops um, on the side are metal, uh, the next garment that you might put on over top of this would be a um, uh, like a quilt and it would cover these hoops to make them smoother but uh, I, haven't, I haven't bothered with that uh, just because uh, we don't I, I haven't been doing the really obscenely historical parties where they care uh, that the hoops are showing or whatever so the next is what's called the um, underskirt so the, and the underskirt is visible, but not very visible. The underskirt is uh, only the first uh, couple of inches of the underskirt are uh, visible here. And I'm trying to, trying to stay in the camera and not uh, hide them again. Okay. So this is this is a terribly poorly finished. Uh, I finished this skirt in, in a great hurry, so it's not going to be finished. Okay. So, uh, when what what brings the most amount of happiness to you when you get to create this couture fashion? Well, I have to tell you that the greatest amount of joy is actually uh, in I, I I don't make these dresses for myself. I usually have someone in mind when I make these. And so uh, for every time I make a dress, I'll have somebody uh, in my life who will premiere the dress to some event. And so kind of the greatest joy is when I first get the dress on them. And there's always a transformation when you get dressed up like this. Like you, you transform from just like a regular, ordinary, boring person, and then all of a sudden, a chevalier or a princess. So, sure, so the glamour the comes out. Transformation has, has got to be. Oh, it's got to be the most fun you can possibly have. So, the dress, you're thinking, like, oh, like this hasn't taken very long, right? It's only going to be a minute or two, and I've not been talking longer. Uh, the dress is, goes on just like a jacket. Oh, that's interesting. So you, so you layer it on. Yeah, and uh, we'll lace her up a bit. And this is why I'm generally tend to try and do these uh, events in a big group because all this lacing and everything, it's just uh, you get everybody some champagne and you have uh, you lace everybody up and have a good time. <laughs> One person drinks while the other person laces. Yes, so I wonder where the myth comes from regarding the idea that it would take five hours to dress for, you know, one of these 18th. I, I don't know, but I keep out here and again and again and again, that's like, oh my God, it must take you whatever. Uh, now, I think part of the problem is, uh, you know, there's also, uh, is it a myth? There's a myth that women take a long time to get dressed anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a myth, right? So. Uh, Depends on the woman. Yeah, there's there's that. I don't know. I, I, I know some women who are just absolutely like you. You'll phone them up and uh, like, hey, you want to do a thing? I just woke up, you know, five minutes later. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> right, right. Not all women. Are. 
Those, those, those are good. Uh, oh, actually, this dress was on, on a real person who was really small. And I haven't, uh, there's adjustments in the back. And so I don't think I can take this on. So what values do you think you get to honor? Because I can see the happiness on your face and the joy that it brings when you get to do this, even if it is just a hobby right now in your leisure time to uh, transform other people and bring glamour to their life, even if it's uh, merely for a social occasion or two. The, well, there's, it's a, there's a rack of things because uh, first of all, the transformation is, is a big deal. And there's a few transformations because you get to go through the process, right? Like if uh, so-and-so wants a red dress or a, or a purple underskirt, you know, whatever. So you get to go through the thing and, and there's, a, there's a process before the dress doesn't just uh, magically happen. Like it has to, you have to go and get the fabric and you have to do the thing. And so uh, you can have somebody in, in a terrible mood and you get to bring up their mood uh, 45 times before they ever actually just one more piece of idea. Okay, okay. And it's interesting because um, each person is uh, going to be different regarding what they like and the colors as far as the planning process goes or the selection of fabrics. And it almost makes me wonder, like right before Meghan Markle got married or Kate, I wonder if they had to go, you know, and decide many of these different uh, oh, choices, right? Yeah. And Absolutely. So uh, the stomacher is this piece of artwork and these can be done in an almost infinite number of ways. Uh, they can have artwork, they can have embroidery. Now in my case, I'm, unfortunately, I've made my dress uh, too narrow for my mannequin. So is that a safety pin you're using right now? Yeah, now in the olden days, uh, all these laces and gubbins uh, okay. wouldn't have existed. Uh, they would have just pinned uh, the dress uh, to the um, uh, uh, to the uh, sort of the uh, stay or person. Uh, in my case, I have to pin it anyway because because I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, it looks wonderful, yeah, yeah. and and it reminds me a little bit of a coat of arms on the stomach, like a. Oh yeah, well for this one, yeah, I always had this in mind that I wanted to do a kind of a red and white pattern. Uh, sometimes I'll just do all flowers. Uh, sometimes I'll do. Uh, uh, well, I've done uh, cross laces and things like that. So, but generally, uh, a few pins will get you to where you want to be. Uh, Ta-da! And ready for the ball. Voila! Yeah, we do the hair and the makeup, and probably put the necklace on her. Okay. But yeah, she's, she's ready. Sure. So you were describing before about some of the values that you get to so, honor and align your daily and weekly actions. And I think that's part of what brings the meaning to life. And yeah, well, for me, I, I like, I, I have my own motivations, like a lot of people who make these things. Uh, there's uh, one thing is the creator's uh, sort of curse is uh, you'll make a thing or make a, it doesn't matter what you make, you make a painting or you, you make a, a, a desk or something, it doesn't matter what you did, you'll make a thing and you'll look at it and you'll say to yourself, oh, I could have done that better. <laughs> and it's every, every creator does this. And of course you could do it better because now you've had the one more experience of having done it uh, 
uh, twice, or if you did it a third time, now you've done it three times instead of only two times. So you can always do it better the next time, uh, but you can't go back. So you have to actually move on and do another one and do another one and do another one. So are you speaking to the uh, value of uh, pride of work, pride of ownership, pride of craft? It's, it's sort of part of the pride of craft. Like you said, it's, it's, it's a gift and a curse because you, it's a curse because you're never satisfied with your work as a creator. Uh, but it's a, it's a gift and then it always drives you forward. Like you're always learning, you're always uh, pushing your skills forward. And for me, at least, and I don't know how everybody else does their hobbies, but I mean, this hobby for me is not a self-serving hobby at all because I don't wear the dresses I got. I take them out and uh, I make my girlfriends wear them. So uh, I spend a lot of my life, you know, lining up uh, fashion victims to wear my dresses. and. That, uh, you know, attend these parties and things with me, and um, and we we try and sort things out. Uh, you know, sometimes months, sometimes in the case of COVID, years in advance. Sure, sure. So it's the joy that it brings yeah, and, and, in service to another. Well, yeah, but there, yeah, there's a number of levels of it. There's the joy of creation, but there's there's just the joy of sort of like giving because I, I'm always sort of giving this experience uh, to other people as best as I can and uh, um, and including them in it as well like uh, uh, nothing gets created from a vacuum uh, uh, there's a, there's always other people involved you know do you like the red do you like the blue do you want to what do you think about this you know there's a, uh, it's an interactive hobby because all the friends I have know that I do it and they know that when they talk to me this is going to be a topic that comes up so and it's such an interesting topic because, again, like when you walked into, you mentioned the uh, Woodrow Wilson Museum oh, in D.C. Yeah, yeah. It, it, people want to know, like, what is oh, it? Yeah, what no, is that I all about? I have definite converts. Like, I'll, I'll sometimes I'll just, uh, uh, like, I, I have, uh, I'll, I'll give you another, for example. I, a, a pictorial, for example, is I had a friend of mine from Paris who just showed up at my apartment. And uh, I was goofing around and making a dress or whatever. And I just asked her, I said, have you ever worn a dress like this? And she was no. I'm like, well, you should. <laughs> and, uh, and the next thing you know, uh, so I'll, I'll just show you what, what happened. I can show you visually what happened. And I also bring up a question um, about your values and aligning them with your life right now, because it is a, a living process. Uh, our legacy doesn't get created at the end of our life in the final six months or the final year. It's the things we do right now. And whether this is your planned legacy or it ends up just being something that, like you said, you don't know if you could go tomorrow. And so if you do, then this is perhaps what you will be remembered for. Well, I, I think uh, in, I don't want to continue what we said because your listeners will probably want to hear how we started. But uh, one of the, I think one of my first goals or values or whatever is just you know, you're given one life and you're not put on the planet alone. So, so basically it's just to participate. So with my, with my work, whatever, yeah, I'm earning a living, whatever, and I'm, I'm feeding myself and I'm feeding uh, my family and everything, but I, I, I'm not participating. And at least in my humble opinion, I didn't think I was participating in life so much. Like to participate in life, you need to you need to create, you need to contribute, you need to involve people, you need to be active, you need to be gregarious, you need to get out there. And, and even if you're introverted or whatever, you still need to be part of this world. And that's sort of, this is just 
in, in that it's, I've, I've chosen a unique way to go about it. This is one of a billion ways to, to, to do that. So. To express and connect, absolutely. Uh, and the, uh, the, the rest of it is just comes down to uh, uh, something I was sort of thinking earlier is uh, I uh, do not like bucket lists. Oh, <laughs> I think of, do tell. I think, <laughs> I think a bucket list is the worst possible thing you can make for yourself because you're basically giving up before you started. So if you want to take up scuba diving or uh, going to Venice Carnival or whatever it is that you have in your bucket list, if you decide to do that once, you're not going to do it well, and you're not going to have the greatest time because uh, you're not going to really truly experience it. Uh, the first time you go to a, an 18th century party or the first time you go underwater with scuba tanks, you're all concerned about you know whether you're going to live or float or swim or, or anyone's going to dance with you or whatever. I don't know how it's going to go, but you're 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 a, a fish out of water basically uh, and you're not going to enjoy the experience and then if you go and take that experience that you didn't exactly enjoy or understand or you cross it off your list you never get to understand it so i would say no if you're going to put scuba diving or 18th century dresses on your on your uh, to-do list or you know venice carnival on your to-do list plan to do it three times uh you know Plan to do scuba, you know, uh, every year or every summer. Go and like plan that from the beginning, even before you know how to do the scuba. Make room in your life for it, then go and attack it, and then you'll get not only the joy of learning how to do it, but you'll get the joy of being good at it. Well which said. Is superior. Yes. And I also just want to, before you share, I just also want to add the happiness piece because it's nice to see your face light up with happiness because in this pandemic, people have a choice whether they can just self-destruct or decide to create something. Oh, yeah. I, I, and I talk to a lot of people and I, I try to inspire people to do whatever it is that they're doing. So that's usually the first and second and third questions I ask people is, you know, what are you doing? What are you making? Who are you, where have you been? You know, like just how are you? Uh, and of course, uh, you met me through uh, uh, through the Zooming and, you know, just I'm trying to keep uh, uh, inter uh, international communities going all the time and making sure people are uh, connecting and interacting, and, you know, and not just sitting around in their apartments looking at the walls. Yeah. And it's uh, especially important for people between, I think, age 10 and 20 right now that are, they need something to look forward to, but I think it's all, all ages. Okay, please go forward with what you were going to share. <laughs> okay, so I'll just, I'll just show you the very, very moment that I converted somebody. I don't always capture the very moment on film, but I was, uh, or in this case, in digital, but okay. So this was a friend of mine who just for the very first time tried on a completely unfinished dress. And by the time she had it on, she was like, <gasps> this is the coolest thing ever. And so this particular person, so I was like, well, you know, we can, we can take it one more step further. And it was like, okay, what? And the next thing you know, I had her in, <laughs> in, in the corset and, uh, and we, we had the 18th century uh, jewelry on her. And, uh, and then the next thing you know, it was boom, it was, she, was, she was at Versailles and um, partying with the rest of us. I just, I, it's glorious because it transforms somebody in how they see themselves. 
it, it was yeah very much so uh, the this uh, this is princess emma i call her now uh, but before she was just emma <laughs> and uh yeah emma was just uh, reluctant she had no idea but once she tried it she was like okay i get it uh, and that's what a lot of people do with this particular thing i've made a few converts and as soon as they see how much fun it is they just get it right away so um, a, a good comparison is uh, when I was younger, I always thought the best possible party would be like those black tie parties, you know, with, you know, women in the evening gowns and men in their tuxedos and everything. And I thought that was just be the coolest thing ever. And they're so boring. Like they're, they're like, they're, 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 they can be okay. But, but compared to a costume party, like, you know, a men's, a men's tuxedo has been the same for almost 200 years. Um, all the men wear the same thing. <laughs> uh, the women would, uh, the women are allowed to at least experiment with whatever's with whatever is allowed in your town, you know. And then uh, that's that's about it. So, uh, so the costume parties are whatever. If I want to wear pink or mustard or green or white, or I can wear any color that I want. I can cut my jacket any way that I want. I can. I can wear my jabot over my neck or over my shoulder. It doesn't matter. Really well. So for men, it's uh, great, uh, a great uh, relief that you can just do what you want as a man. You can wear any color. You don't have to wear black and tan or whatever. So, right. Um, and for women, uh, yeah, the sky's the limit. You can put as much lace on as your body can carry. So. <laughs> well, I think it's absolutely delightful. And I think fashion makes a statement. Um, it makes its mark on history. It can allow someone to see life through new eyes. And it also just makes the quest of life more adventurous and exciting and, 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 and not so boring. Like you said, we're not confined to a box of just choosing a black and white tuxedo. It's the sky is the limit. And, and, and fun also is so important in life, fun and happiness. Because it can't just be all work well, and no play. Is, uh, you know, for me, like, and I, if you would ask me uh, 10 years ago if I would have fun doing this, I would have said no. But for me, the fun starts right from the beginning. Like, I'll be in a fabric store, if you can believe it. I'm just like, because I, I can hardly believe it. I, I, I think I've been in the fabric store once or twice in my life beforehand to get like a tarpaulin or something, right? Like, I need some whatever. And I just felt poor and unafraid when I was in the store. Now I go in, I go always straight to the back of the bargain part to see what all the bargains are. <laughs> and then I'll slowly work my way to the front to see what the new stuff is. And, uh, and, and, and I look at it and I see fabric and I see a bolt of fabric, whatever. And I thought, oh, what can I make? What kind of a dress would come with that? What can I do with that? And so that's the fun starts there and it just, and it expands out. I'll find a piece of fabric. Uh, I'll go online. Oh, I know. Uh, uh, Anastasia said she wanted a, a blue dress. Maybe she'll like this blue. I'm like, what do you think? And that could turn into a thing, which could turn into a dress design, which could turn into, you know, who knows what. So, right. Um, so it's yeah, this, it's a lot of fun for me, but it's a lot of fun for uh, the people in my life as well because they get to see, they get to see these raw pieces of fabric turn into dresses as we go. And it all comes to life. Would you share the blue jacket before we forget? Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is a, a thing I showed you earlier. 
I, yes. I've, uh, my white jacket has been a hit, but it's just, it's not enough. I've, I've decided to work on my new Opus, which is this blue jacket that has taken me an age. Uh, just I think because of the difficulty of pattern. About 300 hours or and, something. Uh, yes, I've got 300 hours. And part of the uh, part of the great expense of ours had to do with uh, my having to put in uh, some of the embroidery in the wrong place, so I had to uh, uh, pick it up. Uh, roughly thirty thousand stitches. So this jacket, uh, which won't go with the red, but uh, it will go with the white pants. So this jacket, um, I'll try to get a little close so you can see the detail of the embroidery. Thank you, thank you. It's gorgeous. And I hope and, it, this can inspire uh, people. So far, so far I have 850,000 stitches in this. So getting upwards of a million stitches in one jacket. <laughs> so what, what incredible and, vision and uh, also the capacity for patience, knowing that it's, Every little detail. Uh, yeah, this is. If I would have known how long it took, I don't know. If I would have even started this one, but uh, now that it looks as good as it does, I'm just. I can't. I can't wait to see what it's inside. But yeah, I can't wait to see what uh, what it becomes. So I've had dreams that this will be one of my one of my favorite things to wear. So. So thank you so much for sharing uh, this morning. And tell me again, why does this matter to you? Oh my goodness. Uh, it's uh, like I said, it wasn't a bucket list thing. It was, uh, it could have been, I mean, it was uh, a thing that I did once and I didn't know if I could continue to do. But when I realized how fun it is and how much joy there was in doing it. And as I said, with the difference between the uh, the, the people that I meet along the way in, in this uh, journey, like uh, uh, these parties like have thousands of people and they come from all walks of life. There's rich people, young people, old people, there's every kind of person, but they all have that thread of enthusiasm for this. And yeah, and, and I've, I've made dozens and dozens of friends. I was gonna say hundreds, which would be an exaggeration, but dozens is not an exaggeration. Uh, a, a, a huge uh, community online. Uh, I make new friends all the time. It's easy to make friends because it's easy to get uh, to garner interest. And uh, I, I just, I, I, I wouldn't have, if I could live my life again, I would have, the only thing I would change is I would have started doing this sooner. So. Yes. When we find what makes us happy, yeah. we wish we would have started sooner and earlier. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. So any, any final thoughts, any closing thoughts that uh, from an educational standpoint or an inspirational standpoint that you might have on your heart to share? Uh, well, uh, you know, I wish everybody uh, a, a, a quick uh, end to the pandemic and, uh, and uh, hope that we can get out and enjoy our lives again and uh, congregate and uh, all the other things that we used to enjoy doing. Socialize uh, and party it up. Yeah, while, while you're getting ready, though, uh, remember, you are going to need a wardrobe. And I've actually have been checking around with the people who do commissions for uh, jackets and dresses and, and costumes, not just for this period, but like of all kinds, steampunk, you name it. Uh, they are booked. Like, I think a lot of people are now starting to come to the realization, oh, the vaccines are getting out, the 
we're going to be getting out soon. And I think a lot of people are booking in advance because it can take you a few months before uh, you'll get the thing that you want. And if you're the person who makes it, if someone's making it for you, yeah, they're, I'm, I know they're booked. I know. Uh, I generally don't do commissions. People ask me and but I'm getting more and more people asking now because they can't get they can't get the stuff from the person they want. So. Absolutely, and if you have um, a talent, so people will seek you out. Eventually, I have done a couple of commissions now, and uh, I don't, do we have one more minute? I can show you. Oh, one please, more please go. Yes, yes, we have a couple more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I think. So your friend in Vancouver. A long story. He was supposed to join me in. Uh, he was supposed to join me in uh, at, at uh, Versailles. So we had a. It was me and two uh, two of my friends. I made jackets for uh, one other friend, and so he wanted to be a sort of like he wanted a kind of a naval look and feel, uh, but not to be, you know, a shipmate. He wanted to be like the king of navy. Remember? So this was the jacket I made. Oh, that's and that's that's absolutely beautiful. Is that and more he's got, like huge pockets? Okay. Oh, and this is another thing that I do. Of course, I have interior pockets as well. So we very, can, very you know, important. You have, to put your, you have to have your party tickets and your drink tickets. And everything. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> is that style more? So, yeah. How would you describe that style there? This is basically, it's exactly the same as the white jacket that I showed you, uh, okay. uh, with the exception that this is a true 18th century pattern. Okay. Uh, and it was, lifted, it was lifted from a period jacket, uh, then sort of transmitted electronically so that I could run it on my uh, embroidery machine. I don't hand embroider, unfortunately. But, uh, if I did, I would probably still be working on that jacket. Uh, uh, and uh, each of these, uh, sections or patterns generally it's anywhere from an hour to three hours on the machine uh, uh, depending so you set this one up you run it you set this one up you run it and so you can see how the hours are <laughs> uh, but anyway fortunately the bottom of the jacket uh, eventually gets to you and then you work on the other side uh, and these things do get done and just it just takes a lot of patience and I almost and wonder that, go ahead please Oh, I said that's the nature of sewing. If okay. you're not good at it, all you need is patience. <laughs> Very important to know. I, I wanted uh, to bring up the point that I almost wonder if there was a connection between your training as a software engineer, because that is so detail oriented. I know a little bit about what it takes to write code and I don't have it in me. It's like calculus. It's very intricate and every colon and you know, for the final output. And I almost wonder if your patience and interest and passion to do, uh, to write code translates into this in the physical 3D. Your thoughts? Uh, I think probably the biggest uh, similarity uh, is that uh, with software, you take big problems and divide them into smaller and smaller problems until they resolve. Okay, one more time. Say it again, please. Like, smaller problems. Don't just make a jacket, right? Like okay. you, do is, you, you break it into smaller problems. Like you don't just say, "I'm going to make a jacket today." What you do is you say, "I'm going to go and find some fabric that would make a nice jacket." And you go and you buy the fabric, and then you cut out the fabric into the pieces that you're going to need, uh, and then you uh, sew the pieces together to make an arm, and you sew the pieces together to make a 
whatever, and then you set up your embroidery machine, and then you goof around with that. So you just do it in small and small pieces until that you can solve, and don't think about the whole jacket. If you think about the whole jacket, you'll just say, this is going to take me a million hours. I'll never get done. Uh, I don't know why I started it. <laughs> you want to wait till you're 100 hours into it and then say, why did I start this? But then it's too late and you have to it. And then here's what you get. So, and I think uh, I, I can't wait for my friend to actually see this jacket. He's only seen a picture of it. So, uh, so that will be the joy of it. Like, I know he's going to love it. He, he got himself some special boots online to go. So he's he's got a sea captain boots and he's gonna look freaking great. I can't, I can't wait to see him. It, so it I think that the, the, the happiness that it brings is beyond what I had said yesterday when we were chatting, that if somebody can cook their own meal, it brings a, a certain level of satisfaction because of the effort, the homemade effort put into when you cook your own meal. But when somebody can create their own jacket, there's both a joy to be able to give it and sharing that circle of happiness, but there's also just the sheer happiness and the pride of ownership that it's like you made that and you know that it came oh. from you know, your heart and your soul. Yeah, and uh, even, in, even in person, like wearing the costume out, like if you go and you rent a costume and there's nothing wrong with renting costumes because you can rent an awesome costume, but uh, when I'm going out in my own clothes, you know, people say, oh, I love your jacket or whatever. And, and I'll say, thanks. And then I'll like, almost like jokingly, I'll say, I made it myself. And, uh, and the, you know, it's almost like a record uh, scratching or whatever. You're like, what? <laughs> 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 and, what? you know, and then I'll get to go in the eye. I did the embroidery and, and whatever. But uh, when they come to the realization that I actually made it, I just get just yeah. that's cool that's a really nice feeling it surprises people but that's just a yes yeah it's, it's just a bonus like that's not, that's not why i do it i you could do it just for that but that's not why I do it. it's, it's, it's a nice it's a nice bonus to add on top well very good thank you so much robin for chatting today i very much appreciate that um you were willing to provide a presentation as well as the how-to background for anyone that might have an interest but they might not know where to start but also just to provide another perspective to how we can maximize this pandemic time to be creative and imaginative compared to getting bogged down with you know the things that we cannot control so thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, and I'm, uh, you're very welcome. And uh, if uh, any, anyone wants to uh, ask me any direct questions or anything after, I'm perfectly willing. I'm on the Instagram or whatever. So, yes, please, uh, if, if you would uh, share. I can, I can check out. Uh, your your oh, Instagram yeah, I'm, handle. I'm or... Chevalier, Chevalier Robin. But if you put a link at the bottom, if anyone wants to ask me questions, I'm more than happy to answer. So. OK. Uh, I, you know, I, I do this all the time. You can't, you can't shut me up once you get me started. Good, good. It's a passion. Okay. Well, I will in, make sure that I include your contact information in the show notes, and okay. I will look forward to connecting again uh, on this topic. And thank you again for um, exemplifying how you define, develop, and execute your personal life legacy. Cool. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, talk to you soon.